Father, we love to think of you as our shepherd. There are many ways that you have described yourself to us so that we can apprehend something of your character and your relationship with us. And this has been one of our favorite metaphors for who you are and how you relate to your people in all of Scripture. This one is precious to us, and so, Father, I pray that you would use it to encourage. Speak to us now and remind us of how good we have it to have such a shepherd as the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified in how we view him today and how we perhaps trust him more at the end of this service than we did coming in. And may you be all the more glorified, and may there perhaps be rejoicing in heaven because one lost sheep perhaps will be found today. May anyone here who doesn't know you come to know you as their Savior today, their Master, their Lord, their Shepherd. Be glorified in all, Father, we pray. And we entrust this hour to your care, and we thank you for it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. And you can be seated. We know this psalm. We have known this psalm perhaps all of our lives. This, one of my earliest memories is going to my grandfather's, grandma, grandmom and dad's house, not too many streets away from where I grew up in a little place called Bordentown, New Jersey. And those rare times when we actually got to go over there and eat dinner with my grandparents. And my grandfather would always lead us in quoting a scripture. And, and every time I went, for some reason, the only scripture I remember quoting as a family there is out of the King James Version. Um, I thought I'd hear an amen on that. But uh, <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is a precious psalm. It's been a precious psalm long before the church was ever created by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it has been a precious psalm ever since the church began. And, and it is so today. And yet I wonder if we truly understand this psalm. I wonder if we really apprehend the glory of what God is revealing about himself in his tender and very proactive care of us, his sheep. And I wonder how many of us know how stabilizing this psalm is. It is a rock under our feet. For those of you who struggle with anxiety and depression especially, this psalm is for you. And for every one of us who periodically face uh, pretty great trials, now and again all of us will face a fairly significant trial in life, whether it, whether it is the news of cancer, which a number of you have had that news this year, or the loss of a loved one. There were two funerals this week uh, related to this church, or whether it's a horrible accident, or whether it's Ebola, or, or whether it's financial disaster, or whatever it is, this psalm is for you in those moments. And I want to unpack this psalm in such a way that you can kind of have it in your back pocket all the time to minister to one another and to minister to yourself. When I go overseas, there are times when, without warning, I find out that I'm the preacher for the morning. Uh, sometimes that, you know, I'm just sitting there one time even without my Bible because I'd accidentally left it back in the room and I'd had no notes with me and, 
And uh, I have learned over in the former Soviet Union that you just always got to be ready to preach, pray, or die in a minute. And, uh, and, and this is what I'm ready with. I'm ready with this psalm. Wake me up in the middle of the night. Tell me I have to preach. I'm going to Psalm 23. Because this applies to everyone, every culture, every place I've been, whether Moscow or Tajikistan or Haiti or Africa or New Zealand or this psalm applies to everyone, especially New Zealand because of the sheep. But um, so let's, let's think about this psalm. Maybe you don't know it as well as you do, as you think you do. Notice how David starts off. David, the former shepherd, uh, shepherd of a very small flock, his, his daddy's flock, who became the shepherd of Israel as king, is now reflecting back on what life was like for his sheep under his care, under David's care. David was a, was a great shepherd, and we'll see that here as we go along. And now he's seeing God as his shepherd. Now he's the sheep. He's king now, but the role, the role is kind of reversed. He used to be the shepherd when he was a boy and on his father's house. He was the leader. He was the feeder, the provider. And now that he's king, he's the sheep. He views himself as the sheep, and God is his shepherd. And he's reflecting on that. I think, I think that's the context, best I can tell. And so David starts off by saying this, these famous words, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, why do you suppose he used the word Lord? You might be thinking, why would you ask that question? That's God's name. It's his name. But yes, but do you realize what name it is? Lord. This is Lord as in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord. This is Jehovah. Now, he didn't call himself Elohim. He didn't call himself El, uh, El Shaddai or Adonai or any of the other names of God that he revealed of himself. He calls himself here Jehovah. Jehovah. Why? What's the significance of that? It's significant because this was God's name that he revealed to Moses when he was rescuing his people from Egypt. And when he rescued them from Egypt, he established a relationship with himself, between himself and the people of Israel, that was based on covenant. He'd never done that before. He had a special relationship with Abraham, yes. He had a special relationship with Adam and Eve, that's true. He had a special relationship with Noah and a few other people. But with Israel, he entered into a relationship of covenant where he was the promise giver and they were the promise receivers. God is always the giver. But this giver of promises is Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, the one who cannot, by nature, it is impossible for God to lie or to fail to keep any of his promises. Now, you, you look at any shepherd. My wife reminded me this morning that she was a shepherd, uh, a shepherdess growing up. She had a thousand sheep that she took care of it, uh, she, she took care of, and, and she didn't care for any minute that she was a shepherdess, and she was not a shepherdess by choice. Her, uh, it was foisted upon her by her farmer father. But um, 
She has experience with sheep, which was very enlightening, and we won't talk about that today. But if you look at any human shepherd, you're going to find a sinner. You're going to find a sinner. It's interesting. The Lord, if you read this in Spanish, and some of you Spanish speakers here may have uh, your Spanish Bible, and it says this, the Lord is my pastor. My pastor. And I may be the pastor of this church, but I am a sinner. And there are times when I let this church down. There are times when in my home with my seven little sheep, who aren't so little anymore, I let them down. There are promises that I make that I can't keep. There are things that I say I, I intend to do and I find out I can't do them. That is never the case with this pastor, this shepherd. He is the Lord. Joshua 21, 45. You remember at the end of Joshua's life, so they come out of Egypt with Moses. Moses leads them through the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, before he dies, he turns authority over to Joshua. Joshua now leads them across the prom uh, into the promised land, across the Jordan. They conquer Jericho and then Ai and then all the, all the nations around, and they take the promised land. And at the end of his life, Joshua says this to the people, not one of the good promises which the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. Everything that he has promised us, he has performed. In Isaiah 46, 11, the Lord says, Truly, I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. Surely, I will do it. If I said I will do it, I will do it. None of my promises will fail. This is the shepherd as David sees God. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Let's go to the next key word here. Let's just say it differently. The Lord is my shepherd. That's significant. That's significant. This is personal. A lot of times in the New Testament, we make things out to be personal that in the text are actually plural pronouns, but we can't see that in the English language. And so we personalize everything. Jesus is my Savior. You know, it is my, you know, my relationship between me and Jesus. Most of the pronouns in the New Testament that talk about your relationship with Jesus are plural pronouns relative to your relationship with Jesus and the church and other people. In this case, David is saying, very personally, it's my shepherd. My shepherd. And that's the way God wants us to see him. He's not just Israel's shepherd. He's not just the church's shepherd. He's my shepherd. He knows me. Remember in John chapter 10 when Jesus is talking a little shepherdology with us? And he, he talks about the relationship with the shepherd and the sheep, him being the shepherd and us being the sheep, and he says, how, how did we become his sheep? He, he calls us out, and how does he call us? He calls us by name. And we follow him, we know his voice, he's my shepherd, and another shepherd might call my name, and I go, who's that? I don't, I don't care about you, my shepherd, I know my shepherd, I know his voice, I follow him. It's very, very personal. John 10, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he speaks in terms of an intimate relationship with his sheep, and he calls them 
my sheep. And David is saying, yes, and he is my shepherd. There is a one-on-one connection here. It is personal. Jesus is my personal savior. That's not the only dynamic happening here. He is our savior, savior collectively, the church. But he is also my personal savior. He is the shepherd who personally chooses his sheep. He calls them to himself by name. And likewise, the sheep love and trust this shepherd. They hear his voice. They follow him. And this is a very, very personal relationship. It isn't just the shepherd. You know, the father, the God is my shepherd. And let's say it, let's say it a different way. Let's emphasize a different word. The Lord is my, what's the next word? Shepherd. So, you know, when you're meditating, by the way, this is, this is how you meditate on Scripture. You just think about the words. And, and you study to make connections in Scripture so that you understand the words. So you could say it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, so we've already established Jehovah, and this is a personal relationship. And what kind of relationship? A shepherd relationship. Shepherd and the sheep. Now, what is a shepherd? What's the responsibilities of a shepherd? Responsibilities of the shepherd are (laughs) to know the sheep, feed the sheep, um, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. Feed, lead, and protect to know the sheep as well. We learn in our study of John chapter 10 that the shepherd, the, the idea of a shepherd connotes the idea of Lord or master. He's the leader. He is lead, he's the one who leads. The reality is everybody has a shepherd. Everybody has a master. Everybody has somebody they're following or something they're following, some impulse they're following, or some philosophy they're following, or some worldview, or some leader, some ideal. Everybody has a shepherd. And there are reasons that you do the things you do. Someone is influencing you. Something is influencing you. Some are ruled by a desire for money, just a, a strong passion for money. They live for money. Others for fame. They just want to be discovered. Others for power. They, they want to control everything. Others for pleasure. They're just out for, you know, the next movie, the next party, the next good time, the, the next video, the next thing you can find on the internet to stimulate something, something inside. Pleasure. Some, some it's for peace. And the ones who are looking for peace are, are usually anxious people because they, they can never find it. And, and you'll never find peace by pursuing it directly. If you're pursuing peace directly, you're, you'll always be anxious about that because you'll never find it. You can't find it directly. You have to go to the shepherd. That's why <laughs> when Paul was talking to Timothy, he exhorts him to pray with prayer and supplications. And then the peace of Christ will rule in your heart. Then you will know the peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't come directly, but people are looking for peace or they're looking for healing. They have a disease. They have a, they have a, a, a troubled body, and they're looking for healing, and, and that's what rules them. But none of, these, none of these things make a good shepherd. None of them make a good master. None of them make a good God. In fact, all of them, you ready for this? This is going to be a little bit harsh. 
All of them are liars. They promise things they can't deliver. You pursue me, and you'll have peace. Pursue me, you'll have fame. Pursue me, people will love you. Pursue me, and you will have all the resources you need to buy whatever you want. And they lie, because none of those things can provide what you really need. And none of those things can satisfy your soul. And so if you're letting one of these false shepherds lead you, you're in serious trouble. Why? Because they are all liars. Idols always lie about what they can and will provide you. But that is simply their strategy for making us their slaves. The Lord, however, Jehovah, is the perfect shepherd. He is worthy to be trusted and followed. As your shepherd, he will always provide for you exactly what you need. And by the way, some of you aren't, some of you aren't uh, being shepherded by the love of money or by the love of you know, something else. Some of you are just, sh- or, or some, some teaching or some leader or some, some worldview that you've attached to. The primary impulse in your life is just your own heart. You're, just, you're doing the Disney theology. Walt Disney theology, ready? Follow your heart. Let your heart guide you. Let your conscience be your guide. Thank you, Jimmy the Cricket. Not a good theologian. Not a good psychologist. Not a good doctor of the soul. But you're following somebody. Let there be no mistake. Somebody's ruling your life, and you are reaping the consequences of following the shepherd that you were following the Lord that you are following, the master that you are following. So let's talk about not only the shepherd's identity, number two here, let's talk about the shepherd's provision. The provision. The shepherd's provision. First of all, look at, back at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Now, when I was a kid, and I was sitting at my grandfather's table, and we would quote this psalm together as a family, and I was an unbeliever, and I didn't, I, I didn't care about it. I was just a compliant kid, and I did what I was told, and we said the psalm. And so when we got to this part, I, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that always confused me. And by the way, it's translated, I shall not want. In almost every, even the modern versions today say, I shall not want, um, except for the Homan um, uh, study Bible, which has a different word in it. I think it's lack. Um, But all of the others have maintained this old English word, and it's a little bit confusing because when I was a kid, I thought, so if I I follow the Lord as my shepherd, I won't want? I won't want? I won't desire? I mean, my heart's a desire factory. I I want things. My wanter is really, really active. Yesterday, I went with some friends and, and my wife, and we went down to Panera Bread, and, and my wife kind of startled me. She grabbed my arm, and she said, what are you looking at? And there was this, this glass cabinet, and it's full of pastries. And my wanter was on overload. Should I go with the cinnamon or the caramel or the fudge or the, you know, whatever, and I'll just take one of everything. My wanter, I was wanting, and I wanted to want. And I'm thinking, What's, why, why would I not want? It's not what it means. Want here is an old English word that means lack. 
to lack. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack anything that I need. I'll never be, here's, here's how they would say it, I will never be in want. I will never be in want. I will never lack. My cup will never be empty. There'll never be a lack of supply for me. Why? Because Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God who has promised to take care of all of my needs, he is my shepherd. And with that shepherd, one thing I can be sure of, I will never lack. That doesn't mean I'll be rich financially. It doesn't mean I'll have many children. It doesn't mean that my in-laws will like me or that my, my children's, my son's wives will like me or my grand, none of that. What it means is God will provide everything that I need to be faithful to him at every moment, no matter what the circumstance. And sometimes faithfulness means faithfulness through the discomfort, through the pain, through the fear. I shall not want. I shall not lack. And then he amplifies on that. What does that mean? Well, the reason I shall not lack is, watch this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And by the way, we have an example of, of this. Remember Jesus, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he uh, was trying to get away with his, with his uh, disciples, and so they cross over to Galilee, and they go north into a, a deserted place, and it was very, very green. It was this huge pasture. And remember, the crowds found out he was there, and they got there before he got there, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then you know what he did for them in those green pastures? He fed them. 5,000 men maybe 20, 25,000 people. And he took bread, and he said, here, start passing this out. And the more he passed out, the more bread there was. He fed every one of them until every one of them couldn't eat anymore. They were satisfied. What was he saying? He was demonstrating the reality of what David knew in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I will never lack when I'm following my shepherd because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He's saying, I'll never hunger. Again, he's not saying your wanter won't want anymore. What he's saying is the hunger of your soul can always be satisfied because what your, your soul always hungers for is what it was created for, namely God. And he's always available. He's always there to meet your needs. Matthew 4, 4, you remember Jesus was being tempted by Satan. He'd been 40, 40 days in the wilderness. He was hungry, physically hungry, and he comes to the end, and Satan appears to him, and he says, if you were the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And remember what Jesus responded? Satan was talking about physical hunger, and Jesus turned it on his head and talked about the something that's more important. He said this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What are the words that proceed from the mouth of God? And I would submit to you, he was speaking generally of God's promises, God's commands, everything that is found in God's word. It is for you. 
all of his promises, all of God's promises, Paul says in Corinthians, all of God's promises are yes and amen. In fact, he says in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him, that is with his dead son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He killed his son for you. What makes you think he will not provide everything else? This is an argument from the greater to the lesser. I mean, how important can your needs be? How difficult can it be for God to supply your needs? He already did the most difficult thing. He sent his son to the cross and raised him from the dead. All of God's promises to you are yes and amen. And not one of them will fail. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. How many of you, okay, it's uh, 20 minutes to 12. How many of you are hungry right now? It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, I know I'm going to step out from the pulpit and some of it, somebody's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> listen, you're going to face a trial and some of you are in it right now. And the question is, how you, will you respond to that trial? Because your soul wants something. Your soul feels the need. But here's the thing. You have a sinful heart. And so rather than running to God to get from him what you so desperately need in that moment, you'll run to food or you'll run to movies, or you'll run to a drug or alcohol, or you'll run to money. When the going gets tough, the tough goes shopping. I said that one time in Haiti, and they all looked at me, and my translator says, nobody here has ever been shopping. <laughs> but your heart will want you to go somewhere. Some of you, your heart's going to want you to get on the internet and click on places you should never visit. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. What your soul really needs, he will provide. You just have to come to him. And Jesus is speaking about soul hunger. What does your soul long for? Is your soul hunger for God? Are you trying to satisfy your soul with things that can't satisfy and just for a minute here, turn back to Jeremiah, or turn forward. You're in Psalm 23, so go, go to the right. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah's the really big book, and then Jeremiah is next. And then um, chapter 2. And watch this. this is, God is calling the entire cosmos to come and look at something despicable. It's the only place I know of in the Bible where he does this. And so, you know, it kind of causes us to sit up and take notice. And here's what God says, Jeremiah 2, starting with verse 10. For cross over to the coastlands of Kittim and see, and send to Kedar and observe closely and see if there has been such a thing as this. Has a nation changed gods? I mean, has a nation ever changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder and be very 
desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. This is God calling himself the fountain of living water. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And number two, they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so I have people come to me for counsel sometimes and they say, my life's a mess, man, can you help me? Maybe, tell me about it. Well, I'm kind of into this and I'm into that and I'm addicted to this or enslaved to that. And, and I'll say, well, I, I don't have any problem identifying your problem. Your problem is you're leaky. You, you have a leaky cistern. In fact, you've got a bunch of them. You have dug them for yourself. You didn't get them from God. You're at the bottom of your, you know what a cistern is, right? You know what a cistern is? It's not like a well. It's something like a well. A well is usually, you know, about this big around. It's a big hole that goes down, and there's water in the bottom. A cistern doesn't collect water from below. It is just a big, empty tank that they typically carve out of stone, and when it rains, the tank kind of fills up, and then people use it, and it dries out. And uh, God is referring to himself not as a cistern, but as a fountain of living water. And what have you done? Instead of coming and drinking at the fountain, you've gone over here, and you said, look, the fountain demands too much of me. God demands too much of me. I'm going to take the easy road. I'm going to go somewhere else to get my soul satisfied. And so you go to your particular sin of choice, and it's like a broken cistern. You dig, and then you climb down into that thing, and you scratch at the bottom trying to find water, and you pretend you're satisfied, and your soul is still shriveling up. Why? Because you've left, or you have ignored, or you have disassociated yourself from the fountain of living water. And he's there. He's always bubbling over like a, a never-ending stream. The fundamental problem with mankind is that we tend towards seeking satisfaction for our deepest desires in things other than God. It might be food, it might be sports, it might be sex or work or accomplishment or fame, but these are just empty spiritual carbohydrates. They're empty carbohydrates. Um, they do nothing for you. They don't give you any energy. They don't feed your soul. They don't keep you satisfied. Now, how many of you have had this experience? I grew up in an Italian Catholic neighborhood, and we ate spaghetti all the time because all of our friends made it by hand. And it was wonderful. But every time I eat spaghetti, it only takes me about a half hour, and I'm hungry. You know why? Empty carbs. Just empty carbs. It's great the night before you go on a long run, but, um, and that's, that's what it's like. Broken sister. Broken sister. It can't hold any water. And, and you've probably got more than one of them. You've got your favorite things that you go to when life isn't working out so well, when the pressure's on, when you're kind of at odds with your wife or your husband, or the job situation's not good, the finances aren't good, or there's illness or whatever, you run to something. Do you run to the fountain of living water? Do you run to your shepherd? Say, help me, protect me, feed me, lead me, do all that you've promised you are my shepherd, Jehovah. You see, your shepherd is committed to feeding you with what you really need. 
He's committed to feeding you with what really satisfied. And what is that? Beloved, it is the Word of God. The Word of God is the revelation of God's promises, His person, and His power toward us who believe. All of it is ours. All of the promises of God are ours in Christ. What does God promise? You say, okay, well, this all sounds good, but what are the promises? You want to know what the promises are? What do you need? What do you really need? And you probably don't need a new car, and you probably don't need a million dollars in your bank account, and you probably, you know, but what do you really need? What does your soul need to be faithful to him today? Faithful and joyful and satisfied in him today. Is it purpose? Is it peace? Is it comfort? Is it refuge? Is it strength? Is it wisdom? Is it help? God promises all those things and 10,000 more. What do you need? That's what he promises. If you are one of God's sheep, all of his promises for you are yes. All you have to do is ask, seek, knock. He's like a father who's sitting in his study, and when he hears his little boy knock, come in, come in, son. I'm never too busy for you. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you will never lack. You may not want what he provides, and so you'll never be satisfied. But he always provides. He will always be the giver, and you will always be the receiver. And as long as you are coming to him, you will never lack supply. And so because the Lord is your shepherd, you will never lack. He makes you to lie down in green, verdant pastures. You'll never run out of grass. It's like a fish in the ocean. You'll never run out of water. You are living in the atmosphere of God. You're like a bird. Never runs out of air. He is everywhere, and he is your shepherd. Not only does he lead me or make me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, which is just, I will never hunger, I will never thirst. The sheep need quiet waters. They need a drink and safety. If they're left to themselves, they get to a, a rapid-flowing river, and they, they step in very easily. They can get sucked in, and they're a goner. The shepherd always leads to the appropriate place for food and drink. It's always the safe place. It's always the place where he can protect you. In John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I give him, Jesus says, will never thirst. That doesn't mean you'll, you'll not want in, in, in terms of desire. To the contrary, you will desire more of him. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And this is a common theme throughout the Bible. We see it again in Psalm 36, 7 and 8, where the psalmist writes, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men, so, so here he's using kind of the father and children scenario rather than sheep or shepherd, but it's the same thing. And the children of men, Take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Listen, they drink their fill on the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink from the river of your delights. You know, the world is, is constantly bombarding you with, uh, you can be satisfied if you get a new car. You can be satisfied if you get, you know, you're hungry, you go to this restaurant and buy a big meal then you'll be satisfied. Eat a whole, eat a half gallon of ice cream. 
and you'll be satisfied. Um, that was almost an amen, those giggles there. <laughs> then you'll be satisfied. Or, you know, if you're watching the game and your team wins, then you'll be satisfied. Or if that person who's calling you on the phone happens to be telling you, you know, you've just won a million dollars, then you'll be satisfied. And are never satisfied. You're never satisfied. But you know what? When in the midst of your struggle, you run to Christ. And you remember his promises. And you claim them as your own. And you resolve that you will trust him for his promises of future grace. And you will not run to other things to satisfy the yearnings of your soul. Those things that cannot satisfy because they are merely broken cisterns. And you will find that your good shepherd truly has provided all that you need. You want an example of that? Sometimes I'm counseling people who are anxious and I can just never help them get over their anxiety and their problems are pretty small. And this week we had a funeral here and um, uh, Paul Campbell passed away and so his family asked uh, one of their family members, a cousin who is a preacher over in Mississippi uh, in, in a little reformed church, uh, to come and, and preach. And so they asked me, would you mind, would you, would you do the introduction and say a few words about how Paul uh, affected this body? And then would you just step out of the way and let our cousin come up and preach? It'd be a rare opportunity for him. And I said, absolutely. And so he got up and he, <laughs> you got to hear his message. We've got it recorded. It was great. So why does that matter in this message? Here's why. The whole message, I mean, he's not even looking at his notes. I mean, just from a preacher's perspective, I'm I'm watching this guy, and he, he knows what he's doing. He knows the word of God. And he's given this powerful message of hope and healing and, and talking about the good shepherd, not in so many terms, but, but, this, but bringing us to find our satisfaction in God. And in the middle of it, he told us something that most of the audience didn't know. And it was this. Two weeks earlier, really two weeks ago, he did a funeral for his own wife. And now he was standing in this pulpit with joy and with authority and with clarity proclaiming the glories of Christ Jesus. Now what's the difference between those two people? I'll tell you the difference. One is trusting and who knows what. Whatever their master is, maybe they don't even know. And this brother, look, I don't trust in my wife. I'm not trusting in my marriage. I haven't trusted in my wife or my marriage. My whole life has been this. Follow the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. He'll take care of you no matter what happens in life. He'll be there for you. He'll feed you. He'll lead you. He'll take care of you. He'll bind up your wounds. He'll heal your broken heart. He'll restore your soul. That's what he lives for. And you see a person like that? And... They're full of joy. They're stable. Their life is anchored to the rock, which is Jesus Christ and all of his promises of future grace. And so David, who is king, by the way, as you read David's writings in the Psalms, most of the time he says, Lord, help me. They're trying to kill me again. I mean, his life was on the line all the time. And yet he wasn't anxious or fearful. 
And, and notice what he says. I mean, David deals with this right here, the next phrase. He restores my soul. Restores. He strengthens my soul. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a, in a moment of trial, sometimes I'm really weak on the inside. My faith is really, really small. When my mother, we thought she was dying in the hospital. Who would have known my dad would die first a few years later? But my mom was dying in the hospital several years ago. And, and some of you guys were coming up and kneeling at her bed and praying, Lord, healer, Lord, healer. And my faith was, you know, smaller than a mustard seed. And I'm thinking to myself, thank you for coming, thank you for caring for me and my family, but it's too late. A couple of weeks later, she woke up. She's alive today. And she's living in Florida with my sister. And sometimes when we're in the midst of the trial, our faith just kind of shrivels up. And we need one another. We need one another to remind us of the promises of grace to remind us of the word of God. He restores my soul. It's important to note here that David uses the same term in Psalm 19. So, you know, we're flipping back and forth here in your Bible, so let's do it again. Psalm 19, and that'll get us close to Psalm 23 again. Psalm 19, David is talking about the revelation of God. The very first thing he talks about is general revelation, that is the moon and the stars, specifically the sun and the moon, and he says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. That's special revelation. It doesn't have any words, but we look into the heavens and we see God. We see there is a God. There must be a God. That's general revelation. And then the next thing he does is he gets into what we call special revelation, namely the word of God. And look at what he says, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. This is a psalm of David as well. This is a common theme with David. He restores my soul. How? By the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord. That means the word of God. By the word of God, my shepherd, Jehovah, all, who always keeps his promises, he restores my soul. How does he do it? The same way he did it for Jesus when he was coming out of 40 days of not eating or drinking. By the word of God. Namely, his promises, his command, the revelation of his person and his power. And it's all in the book. And by the law of the Lord, my soul gets restored. You know what I need from my friends and my family when my soul is just sunk into the pit? I need them to remind me of the promises of God. I need them to remind me of the power of God. That's what restores my soul. The word for soul here is nefesh in the, in the Hebrew. It can be translated by a number of English words, and you'll see it variously translated as life, person, self, heart. It speaks of the inner man, the spirit, the soul, the immaterial you. You, you consist of two parts. There's a material part, and there's a spiritual part. It's, the spiritual part is what he's talking about. You restore the inside of me, who I am in spirit, the psalmist is saying that the word of God has the power to, the King James says, convert. To convert, to revive, refresh your soul. When internalized, meditated upon, and obeyed, it has the power to banish anxiety, destroy depression, put fear to flight, and replace inner turmoil with peace and joy that comes by faith. 
to tell you a personal story. Um, it wasn't very long ago. I, I knew I had to have a hard conversation with a brother, and I didn't want to do it. And uh, the time had come, and I had to do it. And there's just some correction, and, and I just hate doing that. Nobody enjoys doing that. And so I came up to the church, and I'm praying, and I'm preparing, and I'm thinking, I've got to be careful. I've got to say the right thing. I can't say too much or too little. And, uh, and I thought, man, I've got to do this. I don't want to do this. And I went out to my car and, and pushed, you know, pushed in the numbers to call him, and he didn't answer the phone, and my heart just became anxious. I've got to do this now. I don't want to do this now. He's going to hate me for this. I've got to do it. I don't want to do it. I am not doing this. <laughs> A little conflicted. And my heart just started, my mind just started going in circles, and I became anxious. I am not um, known for anxiety or depression. This is just, I don't go there very often, but that night, I experienced it like I can't remember ever experiencing it before. And I pulled my, pulled my car under the tree out here in the shade. It was hot. And, uh, and I'm thinking there, my mind is just racing, 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 racing. And right then, my phone rings. And what do you do when your phone rings, and you're really upset, and maybe you're yelling or crying or... And you say, hello. <laughs> and it was Brent. And he said, oh, Pastor Dan, I'm so sorry. Sometimes when I go to call, Dana, or call Dana, I end up calling Dan instead. So what are you doing? And I went, you really want to know? And he said, yeah. I told him. And he said, oh, brother, you remember this text we were talking about the other day? And I went, no. You remind me? Yeah, I'll remind you. And you know, and he read it to me, expounded on it a little bit. And what about this? I mean, you know these texts. Here's, here's another one. Remember God's promise over here? And you remember how he says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? God's going to bless you today. You remember that? And he took me here and there and all over the scriptures, just a few verses. I shouldn't say all over the scriptures, but a few. And when he got done, I could feel the weight lifting. And then he says, hey, can I pray for you? Yep. And he got done praying for me. And I picked up my phone. And I said, here we go. The anxiety is gone. Perfect peace. Why? Because now I'm not living by my impulses. Now I'm, I've got myself reoriented by the help of another brother in the body of Christ. God reoriented my heart to the good shepherd so that I could do what he called me to do that night. And you know what? I did it. It was wonderful. Everything I said was well received. There was reconciliation. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. But it never would have happened. It would have never happened if God, by his grace, had not reoriented me back to his promises. The Lord, the covenant-keeping God, is my shepherd. I shall not lack for anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. I need that. I need that. Um, I would just say to some of you, you don't need Prozac, um, and you don't need chocolate either. You need the person of Jesus Christ. You need the power of the good shepherd. You don't need anti-anxiety drugs. 
You need a shepherd who is completely dependable and in charge, who has both the authority and the power to do everything that he's promised to do for you. You need to let go of control and let him be God and you just be a sheep, follow wherever he leads, obey, trust. The good shepherd is the only one who has the power to restore your soul. He's the only one. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, get rid of the burden that you've picked up for yourself. Get rid of it. Take my yoke upon you. My burden. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and you will find, what? Rest for your souls. Now, I understand that that's a salvation passage. I understand he's calling people to trust in Christ for the first time, but the application here for every gospel passage for unbelievers to come and, and, and trust him by faith is the same promise for us who believe to trust him daily, moment by moment by faith, and find that same peace and rest. That's what you need. That's what I need in those moments. He guides me in the paths of righteousness is the next phrase. Man, this is, for me, this is the best part. I don't know if we'll make it to the rest of the psalm, but uh, this one statement has has had a more profound effect on me, on my life, than hardly any other passage in the Bible has. This is so practical, so helpful. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. When I preached this sermon for the first time a number of years ago, this is another one of those phrases that I didn't understand. And frankly, when I got into the commentaries, it seemed like the commentators didn't understand it either. At least they had varying opinions about what righteousness was. Is it, is it moral purity? Is it, is it uh, the perfect way? What is this? And, and I looked it up in the Hebrew, and one of the literal translations is this. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Literally means he leads me down the right path. He leads me down the right path. You're facing a really difficult trial right now? Let me just tell you something. The path you're on is not the problem. Your response to the path you're on is the problem. What your heart is saying to you in the midst of of walking down that path, that's the problem. The shepherd, the good shepherd, never, ever, ever leads us down the wrong path. His hand of providence in your life right now may have you on a path that seems really scary, very dark, and frightening. It may even sound like the valley of the shadow of death, which is exactly what he says next. And so what can we conclude about, I'm walking down, oh no, oh no, I'm walking down the valley of the shadow of death. What should I conclude? What should I do? You should conclude this. In the mystery of God's providence, it's the right path. Don't try to find a way out. Now, anything contrary to Scripture is what I mean. Obviously, you're, you're looking for help, and there may be a way that God wants you to take, but just make sure you're following him. Listen, you've heard the stories of my life, and I don't want to rehash all of that, but some significant moments in, in, in Chris and I's family life 
when Andrew was born and two weeks and later he went into congestive heart failure. And you know all of the history. If you've been here for a long time, you've seen us in and out of the hospital. In fact, the last time I preached this sermon was in 2006, and it was during an ice storm. And, and we, we played that message this week to uh, just think about uh, what I should say this morning. And, uh, and one of the first things I said was, um, uh, today, you know, my son is in the hospital again. And we just went through years of that. Every time he had a problem, uh, he would have to go to the hospital. Sometimes we were here in the middle of a, of a service, like a Christmas service, and, and he would get down and something was wrong, and we'd run him to the hospital, and they would check him out and help him a little bit and bring him back. He'd get here in time for dessert. And, uh, but it was, it was always that. And then, and then that phone call I received one day when Dana beeped me in my office and said, Pastor Dan, it's the fire department, something about your wife. And she had been in a car wreck. Somebody hit her. The car rolled. A couple children were in the car. And that's all they told me. And, and what do you do in that moment? Where does your heart go in that moment? Now, one Sunday morning, three years ago, when uh, my mother-in-law, the my mother in the previous day, called me and said, hey, uh, Mikey and Maddie were over to the house today, and there's just something I noticed. You might want to check him out and take him to the hospital and, or take him to the doctor. And so Sunday morning, my wife took him to the hospital thinking, you know, my mom, you know, probably is wrong on this, and, and sure enough, got him down to the hospital. Even the doctor said, no, man, that, that's, that's probably not the case, and they did a little blood test. An hour, came an hour later, they came back and said, he has juvenile diabetes. <laughs> I know what that means, because I grew up with a brother who was constantly sticking himself and taking blood tests and, and, and falling into convulsions and, and all of those things because of that diabetes, and where does your heart go? What do you run to? What do you say to yourself? Here's what I've learned to say to myself in those moments, and I will have more coming, I know. In those moments, I've learned to say, God, help me. Remember, this is the right path. This is the right path. You never, ever, 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 ever lead me down the wrong path. Sometimes the path you lead me down is scary. It's frightening. It looks like the shadow of death. But I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're my shepherd. The Lord Jehovah is my shepherd. Therefore, I will not lack right now as I'm speeding to the accident site. I will not lack anything that I need to respond to this biblically. And I remember that day. I hadn't thought of this before, but I remember when I got to the accident site and found my wife was awake and talking and she wasn't hurt too bad. And my children were okay, and the car was destroyed. And we got everybody loaded up, and the ambulance left, and the kids got in the car, and I looked over, and this woman was standing beside the highway. She was the driver of the other vehicle. And she was just standing there weeping. And I walked over to her, and, and she was fearful. You could just see the fear when I approached her. And I said, ma'am, are you okay? And she just burst into tears. And I said, listen, don't worry. The Lord has my wife and my children. Everything's going to be fine. And I thought, wow, where did that come from? My shepherd gives me everything I need in the moment to be faithful to follow him. Um, where are we in the notes? I don't know. And notice, uh, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. Notice the qualifier. For his name's sake. In other words, it's his reputation that's on the line here. He knows where, the, where to lead us. 
He says in Ezekiel, you will know that I am the Lord. I will do this, and you will know that I am the Lord, and I will do that, and you will know that I am the Lord. And through Isaiah, the prophet, he says this, for my sake, my name, for the sake of my name, for my glory, for my own sake, I will save you for my own sake so that my name will not be defamed among the nations. He will be faithful even when we are faithless. And he will not respond to our faithlessness with faithlessness or unfaithfulness to us. Even when we are unfaithful, he will be faithful. And there are, there are moments when trial comes and my heart goes off, off in a wrong direction. I fly off to the left in unfaithfulness and God is right there. He's never moved. He's never moved. A lot of times when someone's unfaithful to us, or they sin against us, we just sin back. God never does that. He just waits. He just waits. And he calls. Wait, come back. Come. Come. You're weary. You're heavy laden. Come to me. Find rest for your soul. He's the good shepherd. We've seen the shepherd's identity, the shepherd's provision. Now the shepherd's protection. Watch this, verses 3 through 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is the valley of dark shadows. And you know what? If you haven't walked through that valley yet, you will. It's just, it's just part of life. And the question is not will you ever walk through that valley. The question is how will, re will you respond? And the whole point of this message is to prepare you for that day. Because that day is coming. And some of you are experiencing that day right now. It's going to happen. Listen, the Christian life is not like building a house in a land of no storms. It's like building a house that no storm can destroy. You get that? Forget about what the, the uh, purveyors of the health, wealth, gospel say. Forget about word faith. Listen, the Christian life is not like building a house in a land of no storms. It's like building a house that no storm can destroy. And you will have storms. You will have storms. And in those storms, David could say, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're, shepherd, you're my shepherd. You're with me. Why would I fear? I mean, if I were out there on my own, and some of you are, you have every reason to fear, but if you're with the good shepherd, no need to fear. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I mean, there are an awful lot of psychological issues that people struggle with today, and many, if not most of them, are rooted and can be traced back to fear. I'm just fearful. I'm fearful of dying. I'm fearful of disease. I'm fearful of letting other people down. I'm fearful of losing my job. It's always future-oriented. It's always speculating. It's always pretending that somehow you have omniscience and can see into the future, and you can't. It's fear instead of faith. Faith in the one who, who does know the future and has planned the future and is already in the future waiting for you to get there. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not do not uh, anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's no need to fear. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. You should turn there with me, and, and I know I'm just about out of time, but here we go. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. Just a few pages to the right if you're in Psalm 23. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. My son Andrew, whenever he went to the hospital, and it was fairly frequent when he was young, for his heart issues, 
And they would put him in a gurney and get ready to take him away. And we'd say, son, what's, what's, the, what's your scripture? What's the promise? And he would say, when I am afraid, this is verses uh, 3 and 4, Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And I don't know how many times he said that when, when he was a kid, but just a few weeks ago in men's ministry, uh, we got talking about this, and I, I saw something I had never seen before, and this is so helpful to me. Watch this. Are you looking at your Bible? Are you looking at the text? Look at the text. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. Notice the first phrase. When I am afraid. Now look at the second to last phrase. I shall not be afraid. That's what he's saying. When I am afraid, I will not be afraid. He's speaking truth to your soul. Why? Why will I not be afraid when I'm tempted to be afraid? This is why. Because I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. Why? What can mere man do to me? If you, God, are my shepherd, what can anybody do to me? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? And David, now as king, who was once the shepherd and now as the sheep, you remember, I always go back to remembering that first Samuel 17 story where David is getting ready to fight Goliath and he comes to King Saul and King Saul says, hey, what do you think you're doing? You know, you're just a, 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 a ruddy, handsome young man. I'm not sure what that has to do with it. What is ruddy? I guess you wouldn't say that to an older guy. This is a young guy. You know, this is like Jared Jones. I'm thinking of Jared Jones this morning. This is a ruddy, young, handsome guy, right? And Amy says, amen. And uh, <laughs> just a young guy. And, and David says to King Saul, listen, Saul, let me tell you a story. There's a couple of times when I was taking care of my father's sheep. One time a lion came to get the, the sheep and another time a bear and I didn't run. I went after them. And I grabbed that thing by the beard and I thrust my sword into his heart. The Lord who gave me victory over the lion and the bear will enable me to kill this giant. And he did. The Lord, your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. Why? Because you're there. If the enemy comes... You conk him on the head. You hit him with the stick. He's saying, my enemy's teeth may be sharp, but my shepherd carries a big stick. He's going to protect me. He will risk his life. And in the end, Jesus says in John chapter 10, he will die for my sake. And I know we're, we're, we're long on time here, but one last thing here, and this is important. There's a shepherd's identity, shepherd's provision, shepherd's protection, and now the shepherd's palace. I think here, and this is, I'm, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I realize I'm going against what some say about this text, um, because I think they want to keep a wooden, the, the, analogies, the analogy kind of a, in a wooden way where there's no bending, there's no 
there's no nuance here, and, and I, I don't think that's the best way to understand it. Shepherd sheep, shepherd sheep, shepherd sheep. Well, David is talking about his relationship with God, and he's comparing it with real life for him. And so now he starts talking about the shepherd's palace. This is no ordinary shepherd. This, this shepherd is the king. And he says this, you prepare a table before me, a banquet. You prepare a banquet before me. David knew what that was like. He was king. And he was seeing himself as a subject to the great king. And you prepare a banquet before me. You have anointed my head with oil. That goes right along with the banquet, and I'll tell you why. I understand that anointing your head with oil could be the shepherd taking care of your wounds, your cuts and bruises, and the bugs that get into your head, you know, as a sheep. That could be right. That could be right. But it might also be right to, to think about this. In Luke chapter 7, verses 44 through 46, Jesus is at, at a banquet at the house of a Pharisee. And you remember that woman of disrepute comes to the house and he, she anoints him with, with perfume and weeps on him. And the Pharisees are scandalized. And Jesus, Jesus tells a parable of two debtors. And he says, Jesus answered Simon, the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he, said, re, he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which, them, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And he said, you have answered correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not, and here's the phrase, anoint my head with oil. She anointed my feet with perfume. Here's, here's how tradition went. If you had a banquet, you brought in an honored guest, you'd identify the honored guest by pouring a perfumed oil on their head so everybody would know. All you had to do was kind of brush up next to the guy and you would know he must be the honored guest. He smells like perfume. He smells wonderful. And he's saying, you didn't do that for me. I'm at your banquet. And talk about an honored guest. I am your God. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me a kiss when I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil. And I think perhaps what David is saying is, God, it's incomprehensible that you would love me, a dumb sheep like you do, but you not only prepare a banquet before me in the presence of my enemies so I don't have to worry about them, but you anoint my head with oil. You know what that means? You treat me as if I were your honored guest. That's incomprehensible. And that is the love of God for you and for me. When my cup runs over, I'm sitting at the banquet, I'm sipping on my coffee, I put my coffee cup down, I turn aside, when I turn back, it's full again. Who is doing that? My cup just stays full, it stays full, it stays full, it stays full. Why? Because the shepherd's back here. You need more? You need more? You need more? You need more? You're never going to run out. More of me, more of me. I've got to land the plane here. It's, uh, it's getting late, so let's just jump to application. How do you find perfect peace in a life of turmoil? Here's how you do it. Study and meditate on the nature and character of the Lord, your shepherd. 
study his infinite and holy attributes. He is infinite in all of his perfections. You should learn his perfections. His grace, his mercy, his kindness, his sovereignty, his omniscience, his omnipotence. You should know the character and attributes of God. Study them. Secondly, identify and meditate on the promises of God that correspond with your struggles. And you know what? When you're in the middle of your struggles and the emotions are rolling, you're going to have trouble doing that, and that's why God has given you the body of Christ. Ask for help. And there are a number of people. If you can't find one, just come to me or Brent, and we'll lead you to somebody who can, or we'll just do it. The promises of God. Talk to people. Ask for help. Don't try to... Handle your crisis alone. Number three, identify the idols you tend to run to for comfort and refuge and repent of your idolatry. They are broken cisterns that lie to you, and Christ is the spring of water. And number four, stop listening to your heart. Walt Disney was wrong. If you follow your heart, you're headed for big trouble. Stop listening to that thing. It's lying to you as well. If you are following the good shepherd then this is the right path. Remind your heart. Say, soul, why are you in despair? Put your hope in God. He will never, ever, ever lead me down the wrong path. Therefore, this must be the right path. And lastly, rest in Christ who loves you and has already forgiven all of your sin in Christ and is preparing a place for you in heaven so that David can say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that was a securing hope. The reality that whatever my suffering is, it will not last. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because he's your good shepherd. He knows what he's doing. He's provided for all your needs. He'll take care of your enemies. All you've got to do is follow, trust, and obey. Beloved, life is full of difficulty and uncertainty, but perfect peace is available to those whose walk is closely in step with the good shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love this text, and I wish we had more time this morning to talk about it. I pray that this is enough motivate us to trust in you in the midst of our trials, the midst of our difficulty. You're so good to us. And you show yourself to be good most often when we're struggling in the hardest situations. So help us, Father. Help us to help each other and to counsel one another for your glory with your truth and for the restoration of the souls of everyone in this room or those hearing my voice. And I pray for anyone who doesn't know the Good Shepherd and just kind of making up life and stumbling through on their own. Father, I pray that they would repent of that and turn to Christ and find him to be everything that you've promised to be for them in Jesus. And Lord, I praise you and give you thanks for it all in Jesus' name.